as you have a seat there, I need to take just a moment and ask all of our children if you would like to head to the kids' area with Kara and um, for our junior church. And uh, we have started having them come in. I think there's something missing when we're constantly divided by age. And so I'm glad that they come in for our worship time. Um, I was wrong. Are they with you, Jerry? Oh, boy. All right. There was Shirley. You're there for crowd control. I know how this works. Well, thank you all for, for taking them this morning. You've got a crowd today, so there you go. I'm going to ask you to go to Galatians chapter 5 with me, and I made a mistake in our opening prayer, um, but I do want to mention this to you so that you can be praying for her. Frida Wilder um, had her husband pass away, Gordon, um, not too long ago, and then just this past week, it was her brother-in-law that they found had passed away alone in his home, and so if you would be praying for Frida, I know she would appreciate that, and uh, it's just really struggling right now. And so what we have been discussing over the past, um, I don't know, two, three weeks now, really comes into play in instances like that, where we have opportunity to love on people and to um, have our attention focused on the needs of others. And so I want to ask you to be praying for Frida as well as she uh, goes through this time and, and find ways that we can comfort and come alongside of her also. Well, in Galatians chapter 5, um, I want to read to you one verse, and we're going to look at verse 13 and then kind of um, study a couple of different passages together. But continuing on with this topic of love to love, look at verse 13, Galatians 5. Here's what the Bible says. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, um, have you ever sat down um, to study God's word, maybe on your own? Maybe you don't have the companionship of a study guide or any direction, and so you just decide that I'm going to try to find something to study. I know that I need to be in God's Word. But as you did, you struggled to find a place to begin. Don't know really where to start. Do I start in Genesis and just go there and work through the Bible? Do I start in the New Testament? Maybe I start in Matthew and work from that point. And sometimes it's, it's hard to know where to start. And... Um, when, when you think about this, it reminds me of a story, and it, it sounded something like this. I want you to think about these references. One person decided at one point in his life that he was going to sit down and open up God's Word and study it, and to find out a starting point, he was simply just going to close his eyes, open the Bible, and, and, and kind of just point at a verse, and whatever that verse was, he knew that that's what God would have him to have for that day, and, and his desires were good, but... Um, the methodology may have been just off a little bit. And so when he sat down, he did just that. He put the Bible in his lap, closed his eyes, opened it up, pointed at a scripture, and he found Matthew chapter 27, verse 5, which reads, And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed, and he went, and he hanged himself. And so for this guy, he says, surely that's not what God would have for me. I did something wrong. So he closes his Bible, resets the whole scenario, and decides, I'm going to try this again closes his eyes, opens up the Bible, points, opens up his eyes, and finds Luke chapter 10, verse 37, that says this, Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Not convinced that this is God's will for his life, he decides around number three. Closes his Bible, closes his eyes, opens his Bible, points at John chapter 13, verse 27, that says, Then said Jesus, That thou doest, do quickly. And so... Obviously, God's heart for the matter was not to encourage this man to go and to take his own life. That was a poor example of what it is to study God's word. Can I tell you this? And this is going to make total sense in just a moment, okay? 
It is a dangerous practice to study a verse and to pull it out of the context by which that verse is found. The example that I just gave to you would be a perfect example of what it means to have an improper approach at God's word. Listen, if we want to take something and pull it out of the context by which it is meant to be found, we can really create some wild belief systems. We can really warp our sense of of theology and who God is, and that is not the way the Bible was was written. That is not a proper way to study it. And so the, the phrase there is exactly right. A text without context is just a pretext. Well, here, I want to see how well we have done in this love-to-love scenario, okay? I have given you three statements every week, and this week they are not on the slides on purpose, just to see how well we are grasping these three, these three statements. As we have gone through the love-to-love series, I've given you the same statement. The first one is this. There is a command, and it can be summed up in one word. What is the command? It is the love. The example is is Jesus, thank you, and then the purpose is is others. And really trying to get us to wrap our minds around the concept of living for somebody outside of ourselves. Exemplified by Christ, commanded by Scripture, and then the hard part then is for you and I, what does that look like? How do we put that into practice? Well, First John teaches us this about the commands of God, that the commands of God are not grievous. And so the hard part is then what does it look like to do exactly as has been described and exactly that which has been exemplified by Christ? What does it look like? And so as you go through the scriptures, there are individual pictures of what it is to love other people. And it always, not always, but sometimes revolves around this phrase, one another. If the purpose is to do something for someone else, then over 100 times in the, uh-oh, that's good got me a bush there. That's, that's not going to work well. I don't, you know this, I don't do well with this thing, but we still cannot figure our, our, our lapel mic, so we, we just hooked a bush. That's the first. It's hard to know what it looks like to love other people. Sometimes it's challenging just to wrap our minds around the concept of loving other people because we are so engrossed in what is going on in my life that it's hard for me to see what's going on in somebody else's. It's hard for me to identify ways that I can serve other people. So as we've been going through this Loved to Love um, series, the idea and the premise here is that because we have been loved by God, we are then commissioned to love other people. Last week, we talked about loving through humility. Seeing other people in a right perspective, placing them in a, in a position of uh, excellence or putting them in a position over me so that I understand that sometimes their needs are more important than mine and sometimes I can meet their needs and I show initiative to do so. But sometimes we just have to humble ourselves a little bit. So as we come to Galatians chapter 5, I want to introduce you another example of what it is to love how it is to practice the command and the example of Christ for the purpose of other people, and it's found in verse 13 that we read together already. So in the church of Galatia, there was a debate concerning one issue. We don't really know who it was that was necessarily leading the debate, but what we know is there was a debate concerning this issue of circumcision. Now, I want to give you this this simple thought. 
Because in this issue, remember we've been talking about this as well, and if you were in Sunday school, there was a, um, the lesson that was given uh, by, by Chad there was this idea of unity and community and relationships. And you remember that part of our ability to show love to the unsaved world is through a demonstration of uni unity within the body of Christ. And when you think about this issue of unity, then there's a lot of things that creep into a church that can cause a rift and they can divide a church. Some of them are major. Some of them are extremely minor. And for the church in Galatia, think about this. Some believed that circumcision was necessary for salvation. Others contended that it wasn't. And apparently, this debate had spread so far that uh, in verse number 9 of Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. What's he saying? This issue has spread like wildfire in this church. The whole lump of the church has been leavened. It's, it's gone all the way across from, from this side to this side, and everybody's debating it, and it is causing a major rift. It's, it's a divide in the church that should not be. Remember, every letter that Paul writes and sends to the churches, every one of them contains some instruction regarding the issue of unity because it's that important. And so in verse number 13, where we just were, here's what Paul says. For brethren, you have chosen to be called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And so the first issue, we have to tackle this. I know we did this a while back in our First Corinthians study. If this, if this is a reminder session for you, it's probably a good thing. For some, it might be new. The first issue at hand in verse number 13 that we must cover, it is of utmost importance that we establish where we stand on this issue, and it revolves around that phrase of liberty. Of what, what is this topic of Christian freedom? What does all that mean? What is the liberty that Paul is referring to in verse number 13? So in, in 1 Corinthians 6 and again in, verse, in chapter 8, in case we missed it, here's the condensed version of that study, and I want to give it to you real quick. It's right there on the screen in front of you. Liberty equals freedom. However, our freedoms can become misguided and oftentimes abused. We can look into God's Word and we can believe that we can do what we want because there is lacking a specific thou shalt not or thou shalt statement. And a lot of this, the issues that we have today are revolving around the distinct fact that there is no condemnation or no condoning of a practice. So a Christian says then, my conclusion is because it's, it's my freedom to do what I want. It's my liberty to live as I choose. And for again, for the church here in Galatia, it is a misappropriation of liberty that says, listen, th this issue of circumcision, it's, it's on this side, it's a practice that has to be done for salvation. On this side, it's a practice that we don't even need to take part in it. It's, it is a divisive factor in the church. And here's where Paul is bringing them back to. He gives to them some principles concerning Christian liberty. Here's what I want you to think about when you think of Christian freedom. This is important. Because, again, there are a lot of things that fall under the category of Christian liberty or Christian freedoms that can creep into the church and can cause a division when it shouldn't. You know, I know we joked about this last Sunday morning about things like room temperature, only to find out there were some of you back in the back that were literally freezing to death because the air had kicked on. Can I tell you this before we go any farther? First of all, I'm sorry. I did not know the air condition had kicked on, okay? Okay. 
And so, second of all, that was not an illustration of, of preferences winning the day. That was not me trying to prove a point. I had no idea the air conditioning kicked on until Kara said, did you see the people with the coats up over their heads? And, and some of you, I did. And it was basically snowing back there. Why it happened, I don't know. Listen, room temperature is a preference. Shouldn't be divisive. And that's a, that is a petty and a very specific example uh, of something that is, that is not going to be divisive, I'm sure. But you understand where we're going with it. So here's the thing. Here's some principles concerning Christian liberty, and then we're going to get to the end of verse number 13. There are some inaccurate definitions of what Christian liberty is all about. Both of these views, liberty can originate from, liberty does originate from an improper method of Bible study. And that's why I led in with that, that little story about the guy who improperly studied the Bible by closing his eyes and pointing at a verse and deciding that was God's word for him that day. There are ways to take verses and to yank them out of the context by which they should have been left in. And in doing so, we have adopted some definitions of what Christian liberty is all about. And it's just, it's really just flat wrong. And here's the two that I wanted to give to you. The first one is this idea that Christian liberty or freedom is simply a license to do with your life whatever it is that you please. It's viewed as something to be embraced. That freedom is mine to have. It is a permission to participate in actions that are not expressly condemned or condoned in Scripture. We would call them today these, these gray areas. Well, God does not say, thou shalt not, therefore I can Folks, that is, a, that is an abuse of what Christian liberty is all about. And so often, those gray areas become a divisive factor because those Christians who believe in this type of liberty use that freedom as a license to participate in any area because, after all, God didn't say not to. And then on the flip side of that coin... We have a secondary inaccurate definition of what liberty is, and that is this idea of legalism. It is a stark contrast to the lawlessness of our license perspective, and this perspective says this, legalism is, is my liberty um, to turn salvation into a mathematical equation that says my salvation is by grace through faith plus, and you can fill in the blank with all kinds of stuff. It is an addition to faith as a means of salvation, adding to it just simply whatever work we decided is necessary. Works can include obedience to biblical commands, but often then they snowball into preferences into the mix to the point where we say, listen, if you don't wear the same clothes as I do, we have to divide. And listen, I'll tell you right now that there are churches that divide over some of the craziest, wonkiest things. Things that don't even matter really when it comes to biblical perspective and biblical doctrine, but they are not, they're not doctrinal at all. They're preferential and, and they divide over them. So when you think about this, if unity is what Paul is trying to encourage and a wrong view of Christian freedom or Christian liberty can creep in, guess what happens to the liberty? It falls apart. Not only in a local body, but in our ability to serve and to minister to a community with other Bible-believing churches. All right. So the result of the legalistic approach is often an emphasis on external change 
and a de-emphasis on what Paul says in the book of Romans, that we are conformed from the inside out into the image of Christ. So both extremes are arrived at by improper Bible study. And Paul is trying to bring the church in Galatia back to what the Spirit of God would have them to do. We must understand what Christian liberty is all about. So if those are inaccurate, um, um, Christian liberty is not a license to do what we want. There are still principles to be put into play. And it's not about legalism where I'm going to try to wrap myself around every command and every preference so that, so that from the outside I look the part of, but on the, on the inside I might be lacking severely. So I'm going to give it to you then in verse number 13. What would be an accurate definition of Christian liberty? Well, here it is. Biblical Christian liberty is not, it is not an absence of boundaries, but an application of boundaries so that we can be free. There's that liberty to fulfill our purpose in Christ. It gives us opportunity to glorify God and to serve him in freedom because of the boundaries that are in place. And I don't have to worry about whether or not something's right or wrong. I come back to God's word. I see what he has to say about it. And then I'm free to serve him. The boundaries, though, are not the end game. The boundaries are a means to an end. I want you to think about this. Um, and, and I use this kind of illustration far too often, and I apologize, but um, think about this time of year. Think about basketball. Uh, whether or not you know the ins and outs of the game, you know very well on a court there are out-of-bounds lines. That's how the game's meant to be played, right? And so let's say for just a second that we decide to go over to the gym after service, and we're going to have kind of a pickup game, and we're just going to play. And, and me being the competitive person that I am decides, I'm going to score whether you like it or not. So I grab the ball, I take it, and I run outside of the gym. I go down the parking lot, back in the front doors, then I come down the chapel hallway, and I come back into the gym on the other side, and I shoot. And let's say just supposing that it goes in. What have I done wrong there? I've stepped outside of the boundaries that were established so that the game can work optimally. See, the boundaries there are, are there to help us to play a game in freedom so that the competition can be even, so that everybody steps onto the court understanding if you step out of bounds, that is an infraction that you lose possession of the ball. And here's the thing, when you go back to those applications of Christian freedom, Christian liberty, for some, there are no boundaries. I don't even have to dribble the ball when I play basketball. I don't have to live up to God's standards. I'm already saved by grace through faith. Therefore, I can do what I want. Well, you go into the book of Romans, and what does Paul say? God forbid to have that perspective on sin. What does he say? God forbid it. That grace may abound. No, he says, that's not it. And then you, the pendulum swings to the other side that says, well, it's all about the boundaries. Everything about Christianity is about rules. And if you don't have enough here, then we'll make up some for you. And somewhere right in the middle is where Paul is trying to get us to understand that, that the, the existence of boundaries is there to assist our freedom, not to be the focus of it. And so this church specifically, that battle was revolving around the topic of circumcision. The legalist said, you have to be circumcised. The license says, do not come near me with that thing. Not happening. And Paul says, there's one other option that you're missing. 
And so go back to verse number 13, and let's keep reading now. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So here's Paul's instructions. I just have two thoughts for you this morning, and this is the second one. Here's Paul's instructions on Christian liberty. Verse number 13 sets for us a precedent. Freedom is not an opportunity to be selfish. And when you think about those misapplications of freedom, when you boil it all down to it, that's what is left. When it comes to this legalistic side of freedom where life is all about the rules, what is the driving factor behind obeying those rules? It's selfishness. I want you to think that I have Christianity all figured out. I can obey commands. I can obey them better than you. Therefore, I am somehow elevated on a spiritual plane that is higher than yours. And what happens is when legalism becomes the end game, the ability to maintain and to, uh, and to keep commands, it becomes a game of competition. I'm holier than you are because I'm keeping this week more rules and more commandments than you are. But when you think about it on the other side, if Christian liberty is about freedom and about license, what does that say? It is an ability for me to satisfy any selfish desires because God's word doesn't really say much about this. So I'm going to do it. Now listen, Paul says this, freedom is not an opportunity to satisfy myself in any way. Never has that been an option. You thought that there was only two choices on the table, and Paul says there is a third that you missed. And that is this, that we are given freedom in Christ not to use that freedom somehow to make me happy or to be able to participate in something that God may not necessarily spell out for us word for word. As a matter of fact, the third option on the table is this. Freedom was never about you to begin with. It was never about making you happy. It was never about making you feel better about yourself spiritually. Freedom was never about you. Because listen, think. Let's connect these topics together. The command is love. The example is Christ. But then what happens? The purpose is about who? Others. And if that is the goal, is to reach others, then listen, Christian liberty and Christian freedom can't be about me. If it is, then it hinders my ability to accomplish the purpose by which God has called us to, and that is others. And so, church in Galatia, listen, you are missing the point in all of this. Circumcision had its place, but it's not, you're missing the whole boat on the topic. The point is about Christian liberty is the option is to serve other people, and you're free to do so. Don't use it as an occasion to the flesh. And there's the precedent. Freedom isn't opportunity to satisfy my desires. Freedom is an opportunity to practice liberty. It's an opportunity for us to be loving. It is an opportunity for us to come and minister to somebody else. And I'm free to do so. Because again, the command is love, the example is Christ, and the purpose is others. And Paul spells it out for us quite nicely. It's right in verse 13. The command, did you see it right at the end of verse number 13? We're not going to use liberty as an occasion to the flesh. It was never meant to make me happier to do what I want to do, but by, what's the next word? Uh Uh-oh. But by love. 
Now listen, we're three, I think this is week three in this study. And if you're one of those folks that thinks that a church focuses too much on love, listen, we're three weeks in, and every time we've come to this topic, it deals with the issue of love. And we often paint a picture that love is weak, but I'm going to tell you this much. Have you tried to practice it this week? Because it's very, very hard. And Paul says here in verse 13, by love. You know, we talked about the example in Christ last week in Philippians 2. Do you remember? Christ humbled himself and took upon him the form of a, do you remember? Do you remember? Took upon himself the form of a servant. There's the example. Connect last week in Philippians 2 to Galatians 5 right here. The, the command is love, but the example is Christ. Connect it with Philippians 2. What is the purpose? It's right in verse 13. By love we serve who? The purpose, one Another. It's other people. See, listen, the, the, the proper view of Christian liberty is always rooted in love. My usage of my freedoms that I have in Christ is about how I can use those freedoms to share with somebody else the love that I have experienced through Christ. I'm not going to do anything. Remember the whole, goodness, I wish we had time to talk about all this. Remember the discussions in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, if eating meats causes somebody to stumble, then guess what? For their sake and for my ability to love them, I'm a vegetarian that day. Why? Because my, can he eat it? Sure, he's free to eat the meat. That's, that's totally irrelevant. But his conclusion was, if I am going to be others focused and it's going to cause somebody to be hindered, by my participation in something, I'm willing to go as far as abstaining from whatever that is. Well, so the proper view of Christian liberty is always rooted in love. So the question is, what does it look like? Isn't that what we want to know? Just, just let's, let's get to the bottom line, right? Where does the rubber meet the road on this one? How do I put this into practice? Here it is. Freedom is an opportunity to love through, here's the key word from the morning, serving. It is directly connected to our conversation last Sunday morning with humility because we also know that Christ humbled himself by taking upon himself the form of a servant. And you and I know that if somebody calls you a servant, you're probably not going to take that as a compliment. That's not going to be the first thing you want people to associate with your name. Oh, I remember you. You're a great servant. What? A great What? But as a matter of fact, Paul had no problem claiming that title. Christ had no problem claiming that title. Then why do we have such a, an amount of pride inside of us that if we have to serve somebody else, we have automatically placed that behavior underneath who we are? Does that make sense? So the opportunity that we have through our freedoms in Christ is to love somebody by serving them humbly placing them in an elevated position compared to ourselves. Serving is this. It is putting yourself in a position of a servant and then to act accordingly. Any of us can claim the title of a servant. Um, those of you that have been around church for any length of time, um, if you were to teach in junior church, we often say that what I served in junior church, right? Right? No? Coffee is worn off. It's gone. Mickey, can you get us another pot really quick so we can get this back? You, you, um, you teach a Sunday school class. What do you do? I serve in Sunday school. 
um, all of these different areas I serve. And see, it's easy to say you do something, but again, turn that on its head. And if somebody accused you of being the servant, you're probably not going to take that so well. But the idea here that Paul is trying to communicate is this. Because of our right perspective on what freedom is, I'm not teaching Sunday school for myself. I am literally serving for the benefit of somebody else. I'm not teaching junior church. I'm not cleaning the church. I'm not <laughs> cooking a pot of coffee so that I can get any type of accolades. It is so that I can minister and to serve someone else. That is the focus of ministry, period. It's others. And Paul is reminding them of this important fact. Our freedom, when it's not about me, puts me in a position to serve somebody else, not just in spoken word and saying that I'm going to serve, but in actions, they're going to follow up that statement. You see, a servant, again, is typically thought of a person who lacks freedom. But if you look at this biblically, if we are to lovingly serve others, we know Paul is reminding us that we have the freedom to do so. I'm free to stay home and not serve in Ashland loves. But is that a right application of Christian liberty or Christian freedom when we can serve? I'm free to keep every dollar to myself because, after all, I earned it. I worked the overtime. I deserve that. And it's mine. And it's my desire to use it on myself and my family. But is that a right application of Christian liberty? Is that what Paul is calling to in, in Galatians chapter 5, to lovingly serve others? Remember this. Remember from Philippians 2, all of the forms that Jesus took uh, could have taken upon himself. I mean, he was God for crying out loud. He could have come as anything, but he chose to take upon himself the form of a servant. And again, I ask you, if it's not beneath Christ to serve other people, is it beneath us to do the same? I mean, the man who is willing to, as the Son of God, literally don on himself clothes that represented servanthood to get down on his knees with a bucket of water and with a washcloth and get in between the toes of grody, dirty, sinful, awful people humans. But did it ever stop Christ from getting down and washing their feet? Listen, that is one of the most crazy thoughts, is it not? Washing somebody else's feet. Gross. <laughs> that's gross. You can, that's okay. You can admit it this morning that what Christ did was really physically gross, but what was he doing? He is putting himself physically in a position where he is not even eye to eye with them, but he has put on the, the garments of a servant. He has taken the water and he is getting into the feet of these disciples, some of which he knew was going to betray, them, betray him. And he washes their, their sandy, dirty feet so that he can stand back up and pat himself on the back and say, hey, see what a good God I am. It had nothing to do with that. It was the example of serving in love. Now, I want you to think about this. We've asked this question repetitively throughout this. Who are the people that are easiest to wash their feet of? It's probably going to be those that are close to us, those that we already have the relationship that are, that's, that's been developed, family member, friend. Could you have 
honestly bowed yourself at the feet of a Judas and washed them. Put aside the, the disgusting nature of the behavior, but thinking solely on who Judas was and what he was going to do. Could you have washed his feet? You ever wonder why God doesn't give us omniscience? I think this is one of those examples as to why. We would be hard-pressed to serve other people if we knew what they were going to do. Therefore, he limits our knowledge so that we, when we have opportunity, serve. So let me ask you this morning. Are you willing to compassionately and to humbly and to sacrificially seek the well-being of others? That's what... That's what practicing Christian liberty is all about. To humbly and compassionately and sacrificially seek the well-being of others. In doing so, that's part of becoming Christ-like. It is literally following the pattern that he established. So you want to know how you do in the love category. I'm going to give you a a one-question survey real quick. If you're confused or concerned about how you're doing in the area of love, answer this one question. Who have you served this week? Who did you lovingly and humbly and sacrificially seek the well-being of in the past week? If you cannot find an answer to that survey, I'm going to tell you, there might be some room for improvement in the area of love because loving is serving. And if we aren't serving, guess what we're not doing? We're not loving. You cannot serve God when you're not serving others. You've missed the purpose altogether. Remember the debate in the church was about a law regarding circumcision. Should we or should we not be circumcised? Watch how Paul handles this debate. I love this conclusion. You want to know if you're right in how you're handling the law? Look at verse 16. This this I say then, Walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Go back um, uh, one verse, verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one another. Listen, here's what he says. I can answer this for you. In verse number 14, the verse that I just, the verse preceding verse 15, for all the law is filled in one word. Isn't this amazing? Here I'm going to succinctly help you in this category. If you are concerned about keeping the law, legalist and licensing, if, you're, if that's really your honest concern, I will tell you in one word whether you're not. Verse 14, for all of the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this. Watch. Here is your one word. Thou shalt what? I answered your question in one word. If you are concerned about whether or not you're keeping the law, I will tell you, thou shalt love who others, thy neighbor as thyself. This is the commandment that Christ had given to us. This is the commandment that Christ had exemplified. This is the commandment that Paul is driving home, that a proper view of the law puts us in a position to love other people. It can be summed up in one word. One is the word love. So how are you doing? How are you doing in serving other people? Because the one word answer is love. And if you want to know if you're loving, it is wrapped up in this issue of service. I am going to lovingly and compassionately and humbly serve for the well-being of somebody else. 
Maybe the question is this, and this is where things get a little rough. Do we even care anymore? Have we, have we lost the desire to care? I'm afraid that even in this room or, or those of you that are online with us, that we have lost sight of the commandment to love. It's gone so far that we don't even care to care anymore. I'm not saying that we are an unloving church, but, but maybe it's been one of those things that I, I used to care a lot more than I did. But it didn't feel like people reciprocated that care. And, and, and if anything else, I, I served other people, and it always came back to bite me. And I said, at some point, forget it. I'm done with this. I used to care, but I don't anymore. And so what happens when that attitude is, is absorbed, life becomes more and more about myself, and my view of purpose gets smaller and smaller. It's just about me and those immediate people around me. Man, I used to care. This idea of loving and serving other people would have been easy for me. Can I tell you this? Our purpose, the purpose of others, does not change with age. It does not change with maturity. It does not change with the hecticness of your life. Our purpose remains the same. So how do we do it? I'm going to get extremely practical. How can we start serving this week? Let me give you just a couple thoughts. Very practical. Get involved in the lives of others. For crying out loud, ask questions. A man, I don't know who said this, a man who asks good questions never lacks for friends. Ask questions. Go beyond the, hey, how you doing, and getting the rote, I'm fine, good, the Dave Ramsey, better than I deserve. Ask something a little bit more probing that might help them unfold just a little bit what is really going on. You might be thinking, I don't want to know what's really going on in their lives. Let's challenge the thought of love just for a minute. It's messy. It takes time and energy. So, so can I, I told you it's going to be practical. Can I give you these four loving questions? Beyond the, hey, how's it going? How is your week? How's work? What about this? What is most important to you? Because you start to ask that, what happens? Those of you in the room, as you, as you strike up these conversations, you begin to learn about what is, is on their mind. You might even... <laughs> Pull out a phone and start showing pictures of those things that are most important. And then you can follow it up. Can you, can you tell me more about that? It's my grandkids. Awesome. Tell me about them. How many do you have? What are their likes? Where do they live? When's the last time you got to see them? Or, or can you tell me how I can help with that? Maybe somebody is honest enough to tell you, listen, right now I'm really struggling. This COVID thing has absolutely got me down. How can I help you with that? What can I do to come alongside of you so that I can love you by serving you? Or lastly, how can I pray for you? And listen, this is kind of like the serving thing. Don't say it if you're not going to practice it. How can I pray for you? Jot it down. Take it with you and throughout the week, not just pray for them, but then follow up. Hey, I've been praying for you. How's it going in this area? Because the crazy thing is, and this gets us to the, to the second thing, we can get involved in the lives of others, but we have to get back to a daily practice of lifting each other up in prayer. Have to. You know, as we get older, you would think we should be getting more tender, but it seems like we become more critical. 
And if you're struggling to love people, then turn to the Lord and ask him for opportunities to love them by praying for them. I'll tell you this, if you're struggling to love someone enough to be concerned about their eternity, you have plenty to pray about already. Number three, here's just something simple you can do, and this is kind of a commercial break. Visit new move-ins. Starting next Sunday morning on the table with the cloth over it in the lobby, we're going to have mugs that are placed. Every single month when somebody moves into this area, I think it's a three-mile radius from our church, they get a postcard inviting them to Ashland. And I don't know about you, but I get postcards all the time, normally from the same group of people, and I throw them away and I don't read them. But what if we took those same addresses that are already getting a postcard from us and then we personally come and we deliver to them just a small gift just a small reminder that we are a church who cares about them not saying you have to go inside and have dinner with them or become best friends or have a long drug out conversation but what if you just did a porch drop and you left to them. So what we're going to do beginning next Sunday, hopefully, is we'll have those, those mugs available. There will be a, a label already printed on them with an address, just signed, saying that you took that one. And then when you have a chance throughout the week, drop it off to them. Listen, that is a super simple thing that we can do. But if they are new to the area, there's a chance that maybe in all of this newness that they're also looking for somewhere new to worship. Or maybe they need a new opportunity to be exposed to the gospel. What would happen? Listen, I think it was like, I surely just left. I think it was like 130 people moved into Norwood in the past month. People are coming and going all the time. And if we are only concerned about coming to church on Sunday, we're not living for other people. It's a simple thing. Just take them a mug. We'll, we'll do all of the legwork for you. Just grab it and drop it off. Maybe even pray for them as you place that cup on their, on their porch. And then head on your way. Can I give you one more? How can I start serving this week? Simply pick up the phone. Pick it up. Listen, I am not here, nor am I going to get caught up into the social media debate. <laughs> not doing it. And that, is, listen to me very careful, that is something that should not be debated in this building. Please, if you want to debate censoring and all of those topics, take it away from here. Please, let's not get caught up. I haven't heard it, but that was kind of preemptive. <laughs> what would happen if we started to get so excited about reaching others, as excited as we are about an election or the removal of freedom of speech? What would happen if we actually took the freedoms that we still have and we used them to the glory of God and the, for the furtherance of the gospel instead or maybe even just limiting the amount of discourse we have concerning the culture. What would happen? You tell me. What would happen if we got so absorbed with the gospel and with this idea of serving that serving no longer was about me being right or me winning an argument, but it's about me loving somebody else? What in the world do you think would happen? I mean, I, I can give you some predictions, but I think God would be in it to say the least. Listen, I am dead serious when I make this suggestion. What if God is behind some of what we are seeing and he is taking away social media because we are so absorbed with it? Or what if God is just simply taking what is happening in our culture and trying to refocus us and forcing our hand 
by reminding us that it is our job to love other people enough to pick up the phone and to call them. I would hate to guess how many times I grab my phone in a day. I think I would be brutally embarrassed. How many times do I pick up the phone in a day and it's, it's not to check up on people. It's not to, to see how somebody's doing. It's not to find ways to serve other people. It's to check social media feeds. It's to, it's to check different things. Where's the cheapest gas prices? What if my opinion about serving others was grabbing a phone and calling somebody, shooting them a text message, stopping by the house, when we're able to, inviting someone to lunch, to go in to check on somebody, to share with somebody the gospel? How can I serve this week? This is the last one. By giving. I don't preach on giving regularly, but let's think about this issue of serving. Do you realize this morning that by joyful and sacrificial giving, we make it possible as a church to lovingly serve others? Do you understand that, that by your sacrifice and your giving, whether to the general fund, to the Nehemiah, to missions, to special offerings, to Ashland Loves, I know there's a lot of chances to give. I get that. But do you understand that it's not for a number to print on the bulletin? It is for an opportunity to share with somebody Christ and to serve somebody. That's why we give. It is so that I can, through the church, glorify God by serving others. And so I give. Listen, some of us may need to stop and pray that God would simply soften my heart towards other people again. So look at the text one last time. For brethren, you have not been called, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love. What does love look like? Serve one another. For all of the law, Every last bit of it, 500 plus laws for the Jewish readership. For all of the laws is fulfilled up in one word, and even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Hey, church, how, how are we doing with loving? How are we doing with serving? Maybe we're struggling with that one a little bit. I think this season that we have been through almost now for a year has caused us to become introspective. It has caused us to be concerned about those people that are nearest to us. But may we not lose sight even right now that we have opportunity to reach into and have impact on the lives of the people that are around us. Listen, if, if and only if, the commandment of love is what we're following. So how are we doing?